Unless you're working for a company with the strongest inbound funnel in the world, you won't be self-sustaining at the point that you want to be if you're somebody that wants to be at the top of the leaderboard if you don't know how to prospect. Prospecting never ends. Just learn a way to enjoy it. Make it fun for yourself. Whether you're somebody that calls, emails, figure out a way to gamify that experience. That's Alex Nelson, enterprise AE at GetFront. Before that, he was AE at Penandoc. Before getting promoted to the hero at Penandoc, he was a top performing SDR at Penandoc and won the 2021 President Club Gold Award. In today's episode, we are going to talk about Alex's transition from SDR to AE and what you can do in your Europe to prep for the transition, the transition, and after the promotion. So Alex, uh, let's start with routines. Were there specifically daily or weekly routines you established as an SDR that you believe accelerated your transition to the AE role? In terms of routines, I would say that there's a few things that within the SDR role you can do that will really help you when it comes to being an AE. One is learning how to prospect fast. Um, I think that it's really important to during your first, you know, let's say year as an SDR within that experience to learn how to work fast. Often times I'll see SDRs that spend a lot, a lot of time doing things like personalizing emails or tweaking emails, um, spending a lot of time before making calls, preparing for those calls, which is a good habit to have a lot of the time. In general, I would say that in my day to day, as an AE now, I spend probably at least two hours prospecting. And I would say that one of the things that, you know, helps me a lot is the fact that I can probably make upwards of 50 calls and send out, you know, 50 plus emails during those two hours. That um, is critically important because in my role, I'm, cu I'm currently working for a relatively new startup. I mean, it isn't that new, but we have we have not been around as much as a lot of the tech vendors in the market. So it's important to me to set a wide net when it comes to my prospects. That and knowing how to best execute things like follow-ups when it comes to calls or emails where you make a little bit of progress with your prospects. So when you're in a prospecting role, it's easy to be influenced and I think it's critically important to set a meeting. Like your goal is to set a meeting. That's what your quota is. As an AE, everything that you do between you and a prospect that there could potentially be an opportunity for in the future is progress. And knowing when to follow up, knowing when to take a note to follow up and knowing when to set reminders and execute on those reminders, I would say is very, very key. And that will help you throughout the sales cycle. In addition to just the very beginning of the sales cycle when it's not quite a qualified opportunity. So one SDR that I personally worked very closely with, she was on the enterprise team at PandaDoc when I was um, on the mid-market team there. She essentially was very, very good at setting her reminders and she got most of her meetings off of things like referrals and gatekeeper. She would often build rapport with gatekeepers. So I would say that often it's just knowing when you're making progress, how to use that progress, leverage it throughout the beginning of the sales cycle and to do so in an efficient way. Do you mention 
that you in two hours you can do send 50 emails and then call also 50 people yeah do you prep those sessions of prospecting uh, to 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 be available to to do this amount of activities personally i have a book of business that's around 30 to 60 accounts every month okay so at the beginning of every month i will prepare an excel document or a google sheet essentially with all the accounts industries um the lead the titles that i'm reaching out to that would be most um impacted by what my solution can do for them okay. and out after the initial i have the excel sheet set up and i don't really need to reference it too many times i mean i become more and more familiar every time i reach out to those prospects so i would say yes there is a stage of preparation the preparation stage is critically important But it's not something that after the beginning of the sales site, the, the, the process where I'm deciding which prospects to reach out to that I need to spend a lot of time on. So it's more like an investment of a couple hours at the beginning yeah. of every month rather than an investment of a couple hours every day uh, when it comes to before I call them, before I send an email. I already know. I have a sheet to reference if it, if it helps, um, so, which sometimes it does a lot. When it comes to circling back to people that haven't responded, um, and that said, it's very, very common for me to start having success after a few, maybe four or five email touches. So it's good to have something to reference, but when it comes to preparing later on, for instance, yesterday, I didn't have to view my Excel sheet more than a couple times. Um, That varies from time to time, but I would say that having a centralized location for research and preparation when it comes to at the beginning of every day, who I'm going to reach out to, I think is an important thing to have. It helps me a lot. That said, I can understand if other people have different processes themselves. That said, I do think that it's important to make sure that you're not wasting any time than you necessarily have to automate as much as possible and essentially make sure that you're ready before reaching out to people but don't overspend time every single day on that component of the process so you are talking a few times about cold calling also and that's something also you mentioned to me when we are preparing the interview so uh, what cold calling strategies did you employ as an SDR to ensure that the deals you are um, giving to UAEs Well, as juicy as possible. Um, when it comes to cold calling specifically, there's a few things I fundamentally believe in are difference makers in terms of your success. One is permission-based openers. Okay. Um, oftentimes, people will downplay um, the aspect of getting permission at the beginning of your cold calls when really it's a big rapport builder. Um, that having a, a pitch that could set a wide enough net to touch base when it comes to all your prospects. Oftentimes, if you find yourself um, being problem-centric, which is a good thing to be all the time in sales, especially at the very beginning of the process, it's often difficult to guess the correct problem. So implementing into your pitch or story that you give to prospects enough problems or multiple or just some formation of the problems that they're likely to have you gotta have that in order to touch base on enough components that 
if you call enough prospects, there's going to be somebody with one or more of those issues. Um, that and the last thing is I firmly believe in telling stories when it comes to pitching. Um, pitching product stuff is often what I'll do when it comes to somebody very early in my sales cycle. I'll essentially, they'll ask me very early on the call, Gainfront, what does Gainfront do? I'll tell them straight up. Um, and that will often work in well enough to open the door. But that said, if you could tell a story, that's something that they're going to remember. It's something it, people remember stories more than product pitches. If yeah. I pitch somebody, hey, we do spend management, supplier lifecycle management. We help with you finding new suppliers when it comes to supply chain disruptions. Some people will not have that problem until I give them a, for, a full enough story that they can remember and relate to. Selling is, in a lot of ways, you should be trying to target the emotions of your prospect. You want it to resonate with them. You want them to relate to it. And you want them to feel like, hey, actually, you know, this is true. What more does this person have to say? And I think that one way to really do that is tell a compelling story. Um, it's best when it's a customer story that they can at least understand the name that you're referencing of the customer, but okay. also if even better, you could have a, find a competitor of the person that you're reaching out to in some capacity, it'll resonate a lot more. I know that PandaDoc, for instance, if somebody approached me and said, hey, DocuSign, Dropbox sign and get accept are using our software to book meetings and they were able to increase their uh, conversion rate by, you know, 300%. That's going to hit home more than if somebody said, hey, Gong, Zoom Info and blah, blah, blah are using our product because I know deep down that my, the way my sales cycle works, it's going to be a lot different than the people yeah. at, you know, selling real revenue-based tools. What you mentioned here, once, um, when I was working at Cheap Piper, uh, I got like once a feedback from a CRO and I reached out to him. Um, it was like a 500 employee company. And uh, I was, for example, selling uh, the social proof that everyone was using. So saying that, for example, Facebook uh, is a customer of Chili Piper. And when you send that to a 500 employee company, uh, doesn't make sense <laughs> because it's there. I think there are, I don't know how many employees they have, but more than 40,000 employees. So one, that's one, one thing you want to understand. But then like you mentioned, it's even though it's a SaaS, you are not mentioning a SaaS that doesn't have like a similar, not similar product, but may, maybe a similar operation or a similar uh, sales process. So Yeah. What I would um, say to that is everybody has happy customers. If you're, yeah. if you're a software company, above the size of, you know, 10 employees, chances are you're that big because at least one of your customers is big enough that most people recognize it. Yeah. So what else, what else do you have from that example? Can you tell a story that's compelling enough and will resonate enough from that use case to the people that you're reaching out to? Ask yourself that question before you pitch it. Oftentimes the answer is yes. And it, you can use Facebook. You can say, they're using it in a way that the person that you're speaking to will use it. That said, it's important, if possible, to be a little bit more tailored, tell them something that they'll relate to even more because 
you know, I can't really relate to the Facebook processes. I don't know what it's like to work for Facebook. I don't know how difficult it is to book a meeting. I don't imagine that it's that tough at Facebook to, you know, I'm, I'm using booking a meeting as based, based on yeah. the Viper example, but that said, you want it to relate and you want it to relate emotionally. You don't want it to relate on a logical basis because logically people will be able to object to logic much more easily than they'll be able to object to something that they themselves can personally relate to. If you could pick just one practice or habit from your SDR days that has been most impactful in your role, what would it be and why? I would say just in general, knowing to stay on top of prospects that you do have some initial progress with. There's a few things that this question brings to mind. Like one thing that I was thinking about answering to that question is just building value in general, but it's hard to be specific when it comes to building value um, in, at this point in the stage because people absorb value and digest it in different ways. So I, I'll say that when it comes to when you're initially building that value, knowing that you did it and making a note, everybody could forget. People have short attention spans, especially now that we have all these screens in front of us. Um, I know that my prospect is just has has their phone in their pocket, can whip up TikTok and scroll through it for hours and forget about the conversation that we had. So an ethical, polite reminder and knowing to do so in a timely manner that works for them is huge. I think that the difference between a lot of successful AEs and a lot of less successful ones is working within the prospect's world rather than working within your own world. What I mean by that is oftentimes salespeople naturally will talk about themselves, their product, their customers, their processes, and essentially not really resonate with prospects because it's everything's coming from the I, we tense. When you're talking fully in the you tense, uh, essentially focused fully within your prospect's world. And you are setting reminders based on what the prospect, what works for them, the chances of you having that conversation, that follow-up conversation later on and taking a step up from your conversation become a lot, the rate at which it does is a lot higher if you know what to expect from their end. So even if somebody says, hey, you know, I tend to prefer like mornings. Mm -hmm. Follow up in the morning. Remember that every single time for the rest remainder of your relationship with them, because that's when you're going to be able to connect with them, whether by phone or if you send them an email note, that's the more likelihood that they will be reading it and fully absorbing what you have to say. And if it's catered to them, it's going to resonate a lot more than if it's just we do this. I think that you would benefit from this because who are you to say what they would benefit from? Can you name a book or resource that helps you before the promotion when you are still in SDR, before getting promoted to the year old? I became pretty obsessed with sales books well, during the time when I was in SDR. There's a whole bunch that are really, really great that I would suggest to SDRs. But one book that I would say foundationally impacted my approach to sales fully is Gap Selling by Keenan. The idea of breaking it down into 
questions that are current process-based during the prospecting stage and identity-based questions will resonate naturally the most. Because oftentimes when you're talking about your solution, you're pushing them into the future tense, which is a point in which that you should throughout the sales cycle. But before somebody's in the sales cycle, they're not going to fully understand the nuances of your solution and what you have to offer. And if they do, they're less likely to see it, to connect the dots in terms of how it impacts them. And that's really all that they're concerned about. People aren't out there looking for the best and brightest solutions all the time. And if they are, they're not, you know, thinking about buying them. They just want to be well-informed. So what I would say is gap selling breaks down the sales process into the, the current future state and how to connect those dots throughout the process. And I would say that that book dramatically changed my approach from not really knowing what was working into essentially saying, this is working because I'm primarily focused on the current process. I care about what they're doing currently. I want to know what the pains in their current processes are so that I can be a solutions provider and eventually give them what they need to avoid those problems. So when we're preparing the episode, uh, you mentioned that you are supposed to get promoted within six months and uh, it took you 16 months to get promoted. So, and I'm sure a lot of SDRs want to know <laughs> how did you uh, handle that? Or how, how you are patient with, with this? So can you dive into the mental frameworks or practices you adopted to cultivate patience and resilience during that extended period? So I would say that just in terms of what I did, I did as much as possible to prepare myself for when I got into the role. I knew that it was inevitable that one day in the future, whether soon or way longer than I would ideally expect, that I will be an AE. So when that time comes, I want to be as prepared as possible to not just close deals, but carry deals throughout the sales cycle. So there's a few questions I would ask myself. One is, are you ready to be an AE because you've been a good SDR? And if the answer is yes, but no to the following question, are you ready because you know what you're going to have to do and you've developed the skills you'll need to succeed? If the answer to that follow-up question is no, then you have somewhere to go in terms of what you could be doing within your SDR role. Obviously, in an SDR role, it's difficult to imagine the specifics. And I don't imagine that anybody has the capability to do so if they haven't been in the AE role before. But in order to, you know, get to the point where you are fully ready to succeed and you know what it's going to take, you're not losing money. The company is. I learned about this concept in college in economics called opportunity cost, which essentially is the, the money lost by not pursuing a more profitable route. If you are fully prepared to be an AE, it's not you that's losing money. It's the company you're working for that's losing money by not promoting you because the return on promoting you would be a lot more fruitful for them than the re return for keeping you in the SDR seat. Now, I would say that between nine and 11 months between when I was promoted and when I was, you know, an SDR, that's when I would have answered the question, Am I ready for all the tasks ahead of me? Was yes. And during that time, I was sort of twiddling my thumbs. I didn't know what 
what to potentially do to in order in order to get me to that seat quicker. So what I did was I was sp- focused a lot of time on strengthening my transferable skills. So things like copywriting, um, building my brand on LinkedIn, carrying out more, as many sales conversations as possible. I was spending a lot of time developing, sharpening my tool belt, um, which ended up helping me very, very much when I got into the AEC. I didn't really have too many surprises, if any, when I got into the AEC. And what I learned, I, I realized now and I knew at the time would be the case is the skills that I'm developing will help me throughout the rest of my life. Um, things like learning how to write better, learning how to have intelligent conversations with decision makers at companies, that is something that nobody could take away from you. Not your current company, not your friends, not your family, not your, not the ghost that hides in your, underneath your bed. Nobody is, can take away the fact that you're developing skills that will help you in the future win sales. So if I, if I had to give any advice to anybody within the seat that I was in expecting a promotion, deserving a promotion, I would say, Uh, be patient. You know, it's, it's, it's one of those uncontrollables and you have to put up with uncontrollables as an AE, but use that time effectively. Don't just sit there thinking to yourself, I should be an AE month after month and being disappointed in the results. No, become a stronger salesperson by leveraging what you can do, which is prospecting essentially, but also prospecting for good opportunities that have the possibility to close and qualifying and learning how to qualify. So I would say like the answer is twofold. One is strengthen those transferable skills and two, just don't let the uncontrollables get to you. But if you can't answer the question, are you ready because you know what you're going to have to do and you've developed the skills you'll need to succeed? If that answer is no, then you have somewhere to go. And it's probably best that you stay put for the short time so that you can, when you are an AE, there aren't any, you know, you won't need any training wheels. You'll be ready to go and you will, while mistakes are common and it's, and you got to learn from the ins and outs of transitioning into that new role, you'll be ready and there won't be as many surprises. Can you describe the biggest mindset shift you had to make when transitioning from the SDR role to an AR? Yeah, I mean, I would say that it's often talked about a lot, but you're not paid on opportunities anymore. You're paid on revenue. So I wouldn't say that, you know, it really hit me like a ton of bricks when that set in, but you can't forget about things. You need to stay on top of the opportunities that you're given, good or bad, and do what you can to bring them from one stage in the sales cycle to the next and to the next. And asking yourself what it's going to take to move things forward is always going to be important when you're in that AE role. So what I'll say is, in terms of a mental mentality shift, it's not so much you have to what i will okay just cut this like me like right um the difference between short-term success and long-term success will really hit you when you are fully entrenched in an ae role 
you need to live with a lot more uncontrollables as an AE. You need to do things that you will not be able to impact for days after you act. Like, for instance, running a dem, running a technical screening, a financial review, or a legal review. Those things, if you follow up every single day, it's not going to bring the deal closer. You need to know when to take your pedal off because what you've done already is enough. But that said, make sure that you know the, you have the patience and you have the spatial awareness to know what is the right thing to do within each stage. And when do you just do nothing and leave it up to internal evaluations and what your prospects are doing? Because if you try too hard to control the sales process, they're, they're just going to end up not liking you. You're going to be the salesperson that they can't get to stop reaching out to them. And they're going to forget about the, all the good things you did early on in the sales process. Yeah, that's a really great point because, um, like you mentioned, I think following up as an SDR is completely, will be completely different as following up as an AR. So yeah, I mean, um, following up as an SDR is something that, you know, you need to do in, in the difference in that portion is once a deal is a qualified opportunity, you know, that you've built the value and you know that they need it. You want to establish a relationship of give and take. Yeah. You, you want to be able to take something away from every time that you're giving. Um, some salespeople will just give, 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 give. And that's what it looks like when you're, you know, following up five times after a demo with just more product information, just unloading buckets of product information. Instead, you want to essentially know throughout the sales process what they're going to need, what you need, what you can do to truly support their evaluation and what at what stage you can realistically ask for without getting pushed back. So after a demo, for instance, I'll essentially, I might end an email with saying, is there anything else that I could send over that would be helpful to you guys for your evaluation? If I get a response to that, I'm going to essentially ask once I get that response, hey, it, it, um, yes, I'm happy to send over that information. But before I do, can we make sure that XYZ in finance is on the next call or we could find a time that works for them to review our solution? Um, I will get on that product information that you want and send it over. But I want to make sure that if there's any pushback internally, since you mentioned this person is going to be in the decision room, I want to make sure that I have an open dialogue with them to carry out um, yeah. and deal with any objections that come up so that you aren't the one having to deal with all of their objections. Does that make sense? And essentially, they'll often, you know, say to themselves at that point, you know, I really want this product information. Let's check in with, a, with our CFO to see when he could be free for 15, 30 minutes, and they'll sell it that meeting internally at that point. So establishing that give and take relationship is critically important, I believe, once you're at the demo stage within the sales cycle. List three things you wish every SDR knew before making the jump to the year. One is that unless you're working for a company with the strongest inbound funnel in the world, you won't be self-sustaining at the point that you want to 
be if you're somebody that wants to be at the top of the leaderboard, if you don't know how to prospect. So prospecting never ends. Um, learn a way to enjoy it, make it fun for yourself. Whether you're somebody that calls, emails, figure out a way to gamify that experience. Um, two, I would say that working with objections rather than countering objections is critically important to the success, the success of sales throughout the sales cycle. So when you're an SDR, and this often um, will lead me to less opportunities booked at the very beginning, but for the good, because those opportunities won't close, is essentially when you are initially reaching out, you want to give them as much information as possible because that's th that information is what's going to get them into a meeting. Once you're beyond that point, you want to essentially lay off a little bit in terms of what you're doing um, and what inputs you're putting in. So I would say that in general, beyond the initial meeting, you have to be prepared and patient when it comes to your success. Um, there's a lot of uncontrollable factors that you will not be able to impact. Um, so just make sure that you know that it's not something from you. It's something that you need to wait on. You need to be patient about. And that is what I would say is the third component is learning general patience. Um, throughout the sales cycle, things won't move as quickly as your manager, your CRO, your VP of sales, whoever's asking you to close the, your deals wants them to move. It's your job to manage that. You need to manage the responsibility of keeping your prospects, buyers on track with the schedule that they describe to you as being realist, a realistic timeline for the deals that you're working. Mm -hmm. And you also need to not be too heavily influenced by somebody that says, hey, we need to close this deal by a certain time. You need to essentially be the liaison between your company and their company. And whatever's going to strengthen the relationship with the buyer, the future customer, is what you should champion um, internally and also to yourself. So in general, knowing how and when to be patient, not when to expect other things and to be able to rest assured that confidently you could say there hasn't been any progress, but it's still looking great. They still need this. That is something that took, I would say, some time for me to essentially set in, but yeah. um, it's something that every day I will constantly be thinking to myself, is there more that I could do? Be able to stop yourself and say, no, you shouldn't. It wouldn't help at this point. Just to go back on prospecting, what you said on the, the first thing, um, I think the common, I would say, mistake I've seen sometimes where if ideas want to be an A or, for example, an account manager, they think that they're going to stop prospecting and they don't. So I think it's like you mentioned, if you are part of a company where you don't have like an inbound flow, inbound leads, you, you still need to be inbound leads. That's great. Some companies have SDRs to help you and support you, but sometimes you don't. And so that's definitely going to help you. Yeah. And I would say that, you know, in the interest of selling and the interest of, of like helping, cost, helping people have less problems in their day to day, like 
considering I'm talking about tech sales, you doing outbound might feel like something that is an annoyance to your prospect at times. You know, like if you make a hundred calls, chances are half the pickups are going to be people that will either hang up on you, tell you they're busy, you know, make you feel like you're not somebody, like you're doing something that isn't in their best interest. But if you leave it up to marketing and if you leave it up to their internal searches for buying and things along those lines, they're not going to solve their problems in the way that they optimally could. So keeping in mind that when you're doing outbound activity and it's your job to sell a solution, you're helping them. Um, yeah. And if they have, if you reach prospects that have the patience to hear you out, their problems will be solved more quickly than if they don't, you know, you'd rather, I personally, and I can't say that I've been in a, you know, CPO, CRO seat, but if I leaves it up, left it up to marketing inbound funnel, I would imagine that there would be oftentimes where I would pay and live with pains and problems in my current process that go on, that can go unsolved until it reaches a critical point. If you're doing outbound, you just reach that critical point a little bit more quickly. Somebody realizes 75% into the time that it would take for them to submit a demo request. This is a problem worth addressing. And if you can essentially craft that messaging wise or pitch wise to a way that will resonate with them, they're going to, at the end of the day, thank you for reaching out to them, yeah. for solving their problems and for, they're going to be the happiest customer that you have. I would, I really genuinely believe that deals that start with an outbound motion and truly solve the customer problems lead to happier customers than those that start with the, through the inbound process as a form of a project or an initiative, just in that people don't, aren't ready to address, people are ready to address their problems before it dawns on them to look externally and to look up solutions because people don't want to spend money. And only when it reaches a critical point will somebody say, you know, this is something that we need to spend money on rather than if somebody reaches out to you, makes you think, wow, you know, I really am spending four hours every day gathering information from my demo videos. Gong, for instance, eliminates that within, you know, 15 minutes to 45 minutes. Essentially, if you could build that point and say, hey, like, how many of your sales reps need to manually go through their call recordings, video recordings, um, keep track of follow-ups, things of that nature. If, if, you're, if you get somebody that really is spending a lot of time doing that, it's going to be a weight off their shoulders if a solution can avoid that amount of time. And they'll be able to create that return on investment more quickly than if it were to come in through the inbound funnel because somebody it dawned on somebody to say, hey, like this is an avoidable manual part of our process today because it takes a lot of time. It takes a lot to have that moment of realization. If you were to design a 30 day challenge for SDRs aiming for an AE role, what would it look like? I would say, okay, I would say you need to book a certain number of meetings 
every week for, let's say, a month. But each week, you have to switch the channel that you're doing it with. You need to cold call one week, email the next week, send vidyards the third week, use LinkedIn messaging the fourth week. I believe that that will strengthen any SDR's tool belt because you need to be able to use all the channels later on. Oftentimes, like personally, something that I never found success with as an SDR, at least enough success to make it worth repeating was outbound uh, Vidyard video prospecting. That said, I'm often using Vidyard to send follow-up videos post-demo to resurface things that were the most relevant pieces and go into depth about that. Um, oftentimes I find that it's easiest to communicate with my prospects over LinkedIn. They won't respond as quickly over email. And oftentimes people that are hesitant to respond or people won't respond, but things are going great with because they have a ton on their plate because I'm talking to C-suite executives for companies that are, have more than a hundred thousand employees. Oftentimes things are great. But you need the phone in order to have a conversation and to up to keep everybody happy, whether that's my manager, my CEO, or essentially me being confident enough that this is moving forward. So I would say that I use all four of those channels in different strategic ways once the sale is, once the deal is beyond the qualified stage. So using all four tools to essentially book meetings will strengthen your ability and your comfort with using them throughout the sales process later on. So I would say that if I had to give a challenge, you have to book, you know, four meetings every week between each one of those channels. You're going to get people that you're going to get a result of people that are a lot more fluent when it comes to sending short and valuable vidyards, short and valuable messages, emails that touch key com- key points and um, fluency in terms of having conversations on an intellectual level with your prospects. And last question, what advice would you give to an SDR listening right now who feel they are doing everything right but still not seeing the results um, or the promotion they desire? I would essentially say that Based on the two questions I brought up earlier, are you ready because you work at SDR? Are you ready because you're, you know what it will take to succeed? I would add to that, essentially, if you're ready, don't let anybody get into your head telling you that you're not ready. If you are ready, it's not like your manager, whoever manages you and whoever manages the promotions, it's not their job to essentially look into who's ready to be an AE and promote them. It's their job to succeed on the better half of the sales org, which includes managing a lot of other people. I think that confidence is a huge, huge component in success. You'll see that in sports. You'll see it in all kinds of different fields. If I, if I was an SDR and I knew that I deserved a promotion, I knew that I would succeed. I would just hope, or if I'm ta- if I know somebody that's in that position, I would just hope that that person is confident and that person is happy with themselves and where they're at in their progression. If you truly are running out of patience, go start applying for other companies because the AE experience, truth, truth be told, 
won't be a lot different from one company to another. You're still going to be closing deals. You're still going to be prospecting, qualifying opportunities. Go find it somewhere else if you really, you know, you don't have, a, if you've lost the sense of loyalty to your company that makes you want to stick around for those extra couple of months. But what I will say is that if you do stay with your current company, it will benefit you in the long run in that you won't have to learn a whole different product. You will have pipeline from past outreach and um, you will essentially be able to rely on the current set of mentors or people in the company that you use as your support. So weigh the options. But that said, you if you stick with where you're at and you know that you'll be promoted in three to six months, and you know that you can make a lot of money within that AE role in your current company, stick with it, just be patient, keep your head down, do the right things, and learn transferable skills. Learn to copyright better, learn to uh, have better conversations, ask the best questions, and watch or learn from people that are in that role and succeeding. But that said, if you've done all of that and you've exercised all your patience, I think that there's no harm in looking for other opportunities as well, because there's a whole world out there. A lot of people, people are always looking for salespeople. And if you know how to close, if you know how to prospect, and if you know how to have intellectual conversations with the C-suite of companies, that is something that you should use to make money for yourself. Yeah, just a quick thing on that before we end the episode. Actually, that's the topic we are talking about on the first episode of the show. Uh, right, right now, I think um, on top of what you said, I completely agree on being patient and being, like you said, loyal to your company. Also, I would add that if you know that your company is good and they are training you and you have a good manager and you are going to get a great manager also on your role, I think it makes sense to be a little bit more patient because um, I was working with some SDRs at Chili Pepper. Um, they left because uh, for this reason, because they didn't get promoted uh, fast enough. And uh, they regretted it because uh, the company they joined was, they, they thought they going, the job was going to be better or easier and it didn't. So I hear that a lot, yeah. So that's why, like you said, it's, I think if the company where you're at is really good, I think it could be worth to wait a few extra months to, to get this promotion. So. The grass is always going to be greener. It's always going to look greener from what you're currently in. So I want to combat the fact that I said, you know, look for other opportunities with know what you have. Be aware of what you have. I was hesitant to look for a new role when I was in an SDR, despite the fact that I was prepared and ready to be an AE and knew that I could potentially make more money because I had a phenomenal set of mentors. And I didn't want to leave them. I did. I, I was learning so much on a day to day. So it is really like, don't be afraid of what else the world has to offer, but know what you have and simulate yourself going through that motion and ask yourself, what would I be missing in terms of support? Because it could be a whole list of things that you don't know what it would be like to be without. And you might not want to jump across that bridge especially if you know that when you are an AE at your current company, you will be able to succeed. So what I would just say is 
I'm a fan of being patient, um, getting that SDR to AE promotion, but there's a certain line that you can cross when it comes to, I know what it will take to succeed. I know I have developed the skills that I will need to succeed in any AE role. I can't do anything more to prepare myself to be an AE here. And I don't know what else I could do to get through to management yeah. in order to promote me. At that point, I think that it's okay. But only at that point. Is that okay? Right. Yeah, that's okay. Perfect. So Alex, thank you so much for being open also about, about this because um, I think this episode is going to help a lot of SDR runners that in this transition now want to be an A at some point. So thank you so much to be on the show today. Is there anything else we want to share with the listeners? No, no. I mean, follow me on LinkedIn. Um, I'm a good guy to follow. I'm a, I'm a pretty silly guy. I, I do make jokes, but I also like to give tactical advice. Um, and yeah, no, it was a real pleasure have, being on here. And just to any SDRs out there, happy hunting. Um, keep doing what you're doing. Keep your head down. And um, yeah, know that, know what you have and know that you're blessed. If you are in tech sales, the grass is very green and the light is at the end of the tunnel. So it's, all, it's only a matter of time before you get there. Nice, Alex. Thank you so much for being on the show today. And thanks everyone for listening to this episode. Everyone, bye now. If you enjoyed this episode, feel free to leave a review on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. So for Spotify, to leave a review, what you can do is you can use your phone then go on the Spotify app. Then you go to the SDR game page. And then at the top of the page, you can leave um, a review. Uh, it's a, a five-star review uh, if you enjoy the episode, obviously. And then if you are listening to this episode on Apple Podcasts, feel free also to leave a review uh, on your app. Thanks for listening. And I see you on the next episode.